Because most of us, especially if we were anxiously oriented, we've spent our whole life thinking that people are doing this to us in relationships and never actually recognizing like, no, this is not something other people are doing to us. This is the way that I experience relationships. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the Conscious Love Show podcast. Shane Kohler here. Always a pleasure to be with you. Always looking forward to this and excited to jump back in with you. And as I was just saying here with my people on Instagram as we were chatting is, um, you know, I wanted to think of how to really start the new year in a way to just really ground us in like what's important and what we need to focus on and what we need to work on. And, you know, I, I thought just really kind of bringing it back to basics today and doing kind of a, an overall conversation about attachment styles and really what do they mean and what do they mean for each individual because they're actually different for everybody, right? And, and so I just wanted to kind of break it down and maybe shed some light on something that we all deal with, right? Every single one of us, we have an attachment style. It's something that we are going to be confronted with in the dating world. It's something, and I mean, not even in the dating world, yeah, definitely in the dating world, but also in the relationship world, right? Like, you know, you, you think you deal with your attachment style when you're single, and then you get into a relationship and then you really start dealing with it, right? So, there's, it's something that we all have to navigate is, is the way that we learned to attach when we were younger and how that evolves throughout our life. And it's not to say that it's exactly the same now as it was when you were younger, because it also evolves throughout your life and your relational experiences adapt to it. And, you know, it can evolve for better. It can also evolve for worse. Right. So I just wanted to today have kind of a comprehensive conversation about this, about the things that we're all struggling with, that we're all navigating when it comes to love and dating and relationships, and really hopefully shed some light, bring you to some deeper understanding of your own attachment style, what that really means for you, how that shows up for you in relationships, and whether you're looking for a relationship, whether you're in a relationship and you want to, you know, deepen it or, or, you know, have it really become something beautiful. I think this conversation is going to be powerful for everybody because there is not a single person who is not navigating this on some level. So uh, that being said, when we, when we talk about attachment styles, and I, I think the first thing I want to say in speaking about this is, you know, this is not a diagnosis. And I think so many of us take it like it's a diagnosis. I'm an anxious, I'm an avoidant, I'm disorganized. I, we take it on like it's a diagnosis. And it's not a diagnosis. And, and this conversation like attachment theory, when it was initially created and when it was, you know, when it was brought into the consciousness, it, it was never presented as a diagnosis. But what it, what it is, is it's a, it's a framework through which we can understand the way we relate with each other. And we can, understand certain things about ourselves, understand certain things about our partners. We can understand why things are happening for me the way they're happening, why they're happening for my partner the way they're happening. We can understand maybe, you know, I want someone to text me every day, but they only want to text me a couple times a week. And I'm thinking, well, maybe they don't like me that much. Well, maybe they do like you. Maybe they just have a different attachment style. Right. So like these are the kinds of things that when we really start to understand attachment theory and all of the related dynamics of it, we can really start to understand relationships as a whole in a broader sense. 
But it was never intended to be like, you are anxious or you are avoidant or you are disorganized and to have it become a part of your identity because then it ultimately becomes imprisoning, right? Once, once your attachment style becomes a part of your identity and you say, this is who I am, it ultimately becomes imprisoning because now you're stuck inside of your attachment style. And if you want a relationship that doesn't, isn't available within your current frame of love and life and yourself, right? Well, if you want if you want, like, you've got to grow into a new attachment style at that point, right? Like, like that desire for love or for relating in that way is going to call you into a, a higher version of your own attachment. So, that's that's really the conversation for today and what we're going to be working with. So when we talk about attachment theory and the the theory for, I, I imagine most of you, if you're listening to this right now, you have some understanding of it. But for those of you who maybe have no idea what I'm talking about, I just want to kind of break down some of the basics so that you, you know, you can keep up. And what, what I'd say is that there are four basic attachment styles, right? There is, um, what's considered avoidant, what's considered anxious, what's considered disorganized, and what's considered secure. And so the I'd say probably the, the most obvious ones are like anxious and avoidant, right? And that's that's what we, most of us, like when you're dating or in relationship, like you've probably noticed, maybe it's you or maybe it's the other person, but but there's someone who's always kind of leaning into the relationship. They're always like, I want more. I want more. I want to be closer. I want, I want to talk more. I want to see you more. I want more time together. I want a deeper relationship. I want to feel closer to you. I want commitment. I want, I want you to stay. I want you to, right? That's usually the anxious person who's coming at it like that. The anxious person is like more, deeper, like I love all out. I just want to go all in with you, right? That's more of the anxious approach. The avoidant approach is the person who kind of eases their way into it. They're like, okay, I I don't know exactly how I feel yet. I'm trying to figure it out. I like you, but how much I like you kind of scares me. I don't want to lose myself in you. I don't want to be taken advantage of. I don't want to get into the wrong relationship with the wrong person. I don't want to get hurt. So the avoidant person is kind of like tiptoeing their way in, right? They're, they're not ready to love all out. They're like, I want to love, but I gotta, I gotta ease my way into this. I gotta make sure it's the right thing. I gotta make sure it's the right person. I gotta make sure it feels okay, right? So the avoidant person kind of needs to ease their way into it. The disorganized person is and and disorganized uh attachment the the way um the way it's spoken about is is usually disorganized attachment occurs when you were young and the person who was supposed to be your source of safety right so the person they were supposed to be your source of safety your parent your caregiver the person that they would comfort you when you were hurting the person who would feed you and clothe you and put a roof over your head and provide for all your needs and make like right that person whoever that person was for you the person that was supposed to be caring for you was also the most dangerous person in your life right so as a child and and i mean like it's so hard for us to even understand what it's like for children. But like, if you just imagine like, you know, nothing, like, you know, nobody, the only people, you know, are your family. The only reality, you know, is the reality that's occurring in your household. Like you, you have no broader perception of life of yourself, of your anything. This is all, you know. And so you're in this very 
strange, very dangerous predicament of there's one person who rules your whole life or maybe two people who rule your whole life. You're completely dependent on them for everything. You don't know anything outside of them. There's this natural inclination for you to want to reach out to them for love and safety and security. Like this is what children do, right? They put their hands up. They're like, pick me up, like hold me, right? Like there, it's just, it's natural in us. Like we reach out to those people for love and safety and security And when the very person that you were reaching out to for love and safety and security was also the most dangerous person in your life, that tends to create what we consider a disorganized attachment style, where it's like, I want love, but I can't let it in. I want it, but I have to protect myself against it. And so there's, it's where you take on qualities of both anxious and avoidant styles because you're reaching out for it and fighting against it at the same time. Right. So the disorganized people have kind of a a lot of both where they're like they want it, they want it, they want it, but they're also pushing it away at the same time. Then you have what we're all aspiring to. And what we're all aspiring to is a secure attachment. Secure attachment is, you know, all the things we want to have in relationship. I feel worthy. I feel lovable. I feel confident within myself. I, I feel safe in relationship with my partner. I'm not constantly worried they're going to leave me or cheat on me or losing interest in me, right? I feel relatively safe in relationship with other people. I feel relatively worthy in relationship with other people. I don't have constant fears about losing it or the other shoe's going to drop. I'm able to ask for what I want and communicate about it. I'm able to be with my discomfort, right, and kind of ease through my discomfort rather than getting thrown into like very volatile reactions, right? So that's what, excuse me, secure attachment looks like. And of these four styles that we're discussing, uh, anxious, avoidant, disorganized, and secure, we all have all of them within us. So in, in the Inspired Love program, we actually have a module where we discuss attachment theory and we kind of break down everything I'm talking about right now, and then we do a quiz. And the quiz, um, the quiz we use was created by a woman named Diane Poole Heller. She's one of the top authorities when it comes to attachment theory. But the the quiz that we use is it's actually rather than giving you an answer like you are this or you are that, what the quiz gives you as your result is it gives you a pie chart, and it shows what percentage you are secure avoidant, anxious, and disorganized. And we all have all of them within us, right? Now, some of us are largely secure. Some of us are largely disorganized. Some of us are largely avoidant. Some of us are largely anxious, right? But that's where we're showing up in the moment, in a, in a snapshot of our lives, right? In this moment, in the snapshot moment of our lives, we're showing up predominantly one way or predominantly another, But this is always evolving. This is always changing. And all of our experiences and the way that we relate with all of our experiences is what's changing it, right? So again, my point is that you don't want to identify, but you more want to understand, okay, where am I operating now? And then in the context of where I want to go in my life, right? So you might be single right now and you might be saying, I want a deep loving relationship. Okay, so if if you're single and you want a deep loving relationship, we're talking about attachment styles today. And so the the thing in terms of this conversation that you would really want to look at is what is my predominant attachment style? What does that mean about me? Right? What does that mean about 
what I'm going to feel, what I'm going to think, how I'm going to relate, how like what my triggers are going to be, what my go-tos are going to be in terms of how I respond to things, right? You want to br- bring awareness to that and then you want to start to practice with it. And so what I do with my clients or in Inspired Love when we work with people around this, what I do is I say like there are specific points of growth for each attachment style right? Like each attachment style has very specific points of growth. So if you're predominantly anxious style, there are very specific things to do to heal that, right? If you're a, uh, if you're an avoidance style, there are very specific things to do to heal that. And, and all of what we're doing is like, ultimately we want the secure part of the chart to take up more and more of it, right? So as we heal, what naturally happens is we grow into becoming more secure. And so if you look at that pie chart that I was talking about earlier, the secure part of the chart just starts to take up more and more and more and more of it until it's, you know, all or most of it. I think we all, to some degree, have a little bit of insecurity. That's just part of being human. But we can grow to a point where we become largely secure. So in each style, as I said, there are specific points of growth. And so for you, whether you're single and you're saying, I want to, you know, find a relationship in 2024, like I want to find a relationship this year, or whether you're in a relationship right now and, and you're saying like, I really, you know, me and my partner fight a lot, or we misunderstand each other, or I, I feel like, you know, I want certain things from this relationship that I'm not getting from the relationship, right? So I, whatever, whatever it is, there are, wherever you are, there are certain things that you're experiencing in the relationship. By the way, I, I, um, I see somebody asking about the pie chart. I just want to say I didn't actually show a pie chart here, but what I was talking about was when you take the attachment style quiz, you get a pie chart as a result. So just to clarify that, um, that's what I was talking about. But so if you, um, wh- wherever you are, again, if you're single, if you're in a relationship, whatever you're looking at, there are certain things you're experiencing right now. Right. And I'll just say, you know, to, to give some examples, like some of the clients I work with, they come to me and their story is, and a lot of you will relate to this. Your story is that I try and I try and I try and I try and nothing ever works out. I just put myself out there. I open myself up and I just get let down over and over again. I get ghosted. I get heartbroken. I get some rapport with someone. We start moving. Things are going. Things are working. And then it just fizzles out or they disappear. They withdraw. Right? So if if that's your story, if that's your experience. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I just wanted to jump in real quick and let you know about something real awesome. So you may have heard that we've opened up a brand new opportunity with the Inspired Love program this year where you can join at a low monthly fee. We're really doing our best to make it accessible and available for everyone. And right now you can join the Inspired Love program on a two-week free trial, absolutely free. You don't pay anything unless you choose to stay and continue on in the work. 
But right now you can experience the program at zero charge. I have never ever had an opportunity like this before and I'm really doing my best to make this accessible and available for everyone. So I want you to get in on it, but the trial ends on Friday. So this Friday, January 12th is gonna be your last opportunity to join on the two week free trial. I really don't want you to miss it. We've been bringing some people in. It has been so much fun. It's amazing what we're creating in there. And I really, really, really want you to be a part of it. So please, before you do anything else, go to inspiredloveprogram.com, opt in for that two week free trial. Make sure you do it before Friday, January 12th, because we're taking it off the table at that point, And I don't want you to miss it. All right. Lots of love. Thanks for tuning into today's show. And I'll see you inside the program. I would, I would suggest like that is, that is largely reflective of an anxious style, right? I try, I try, I try. I just put myself out there. I open myself up. I love all out. I give everything I have to give, but no matter what I do, nothing ever works out. Okay. That is largely an anxious approach. Now, some of the other people I work with are very different. They're like, I meet person after person after person after person, and I just don't like any of them. I'm just not attracted to anyone, right? Just no matter what I do, I just like, I, I, I'm not attracted to anyone. Just nothing lights that spark in me. Nothing like makes, gets me excited, right? So that's a version that, that could be like more of an avoidant version of it. Or a, an avoidant version could also look like, um, you know, I, I meet people and, and I, I, I like them a lot in the beginning, but then the more I get to know them, the more I just start, they start to turn me off or like, uh, so someone said like, it's like cringe, right? Like the more, the more I start to see that person reveal themselves, I start to see their humanness come out. I start to see their quirkiness and their, uh, you know, all the, all the things like their, their dorkiness or whatever. Like the more I start to see that, it just like, just makes me cringe, right? That could also be like an avoidant style, right? And so the reason I'm giving these examples is because I want you to start to get present to what your experience is, right? Like what's your story? What happens for you over and over and over again? Like if, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're probably not, you're probably not like uh, new to this, right? Like you've probably been trying for a while and you probably have been maybe struggling a little bit at this. And, and if you look back at your experiences, you will see that there's a certain theme, right? There's a certain theme. And like uh, Robin Simmons is saying right now, I want him when I want him, but then I need time away and I feel suffocated, right? Okay. So that would be maybe more of an avoidance style, right? So this is, to, to Robin's point that you're pointing out there, right? Like, that's a really good example of a constant theme, right? It's like, I want him when I want him, but I constantly feel suffocated. And every time I meet someone, I, their, their needs in the relationship just feel suffocating for me. And it gets to the point where, like, it's safer for me to just end the relationship than to keep struggling with this, right? So these are all different examples of different ways it could look. And what I want to say is, like, So for it's it's very common when we talk about this to talk about anxious versus avoidant. And the the disorganized person often feels left out. And I've had people in my programs be like, "Well, what about me? I'm disorganized. Like, you know, what 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 do I do?" right? And disorganized can be a little tough to talk about because 
what we're talking about with that is we're talking about often a combination of the two. And we're often talking about extreme combinations of the two, right? So it's like extreme avoidance jumps all the way to extreme anxiousness and back and forth. It can often happen like that, right? So what I want to say is as we talk about this today, for anybody who you might say, well, I identify as disorganized, you know, I, I, I tend to have a disorganized attachment style. What I want to say is as we talk about kind of the avoidant anxious dynamic, those of you who identify as disorganized, what you're going to be listening for in this is you're going to be listening for wanting to really understand both sides of it and, and often even the extremes of both sides. Because the work for a disorganized person, and again, I don't even want to say you are a disorganized person, but, but the work for someone who experiences disorganized attachment is, is to really learn both sides and to practice both sides. And it, it can be more complex because instead of just having one thing to focus on, you're focusing on, you're focusing on multiple things and, and even the extremes of both sides, right? But, but the practice is really the same. And so I want to say this for everyone. Whether you identify as more anxious, more avoidant, more disorganized, I want to say this for everyone. The practice is really, really simple. The practice is to recognize your own internal experience of the situation. Like Robin said, you know, I want him when I want him, but then I feel suffocated, right? Or I love all out, I go all out, and I just constantly get left. Or I just, you know, I just, I, I want somebody, but then once I get involved with them, I just feel super uncomfortable, like I need to get away, right? Whatever your version is, whatever your experience is, you want to identify it. And then you want to start to actively work against it, right? You want to start to actively work against it. And so when I say with each style, there are specific points of growth. I remember when I was dating, I was largely anxious, right? Like, I mean, I definitely had moments of being avoidant. And I want to talk a little bit about that too, because I think it's interesting to see how we can even vacillate depending on who we're with. But when I was, when I was dating, I was largely anxious. Like I was one of the people, and I know it's, I think anxious tends to be less common for men. Avoidant, I think tends to be more common for men. And I think that just is reflective of how men are raised. Men are raised to be emotionally tough. Men are raised to not be needy. To, and, and so there's like a tendency for, for men to shut down those parts of themselves. I was raised by a single mother and surrounded by women my entire childhood. So I guess I didn't get that programming the way a lot of boys do. But I was, I was somebody when I was dating who I, I just, I wanted love. Like I just, I did. Like I, I mean, I fell in love when I was 16 years old. I had like a real like girlfriend, like we were together. We had like a great relationship for a year and then it fell apart and it was soul crushing. Like, I mean, it was, it was devastating for me, but that what I did experience in that relationship I was like, this is the best thing in the world. Like, I was, I was like, it's amazing. Like, I don't know why everybody doesn't want this. Like, having love in your life is like the best thing in the world. And so, I just always kind of wanted that. Like, even after after I broke up with her and I moved on in my life, like, I just always kind of wanted that. Like, I, I wanted to get that back. I wanted to have that like loving relationship. I just thought it was the best thing. And so, my life when I was dating or you know in in that world. It was characterized often by me reaching out for love and 
meeting people who wanted to play games, meeting people who didn't know what they wanted, meeting people who were like not really emotionally available. And so my story was very much, I'm always trying to find love and always finding people who don't want that or don't want to give that back or don't want it in the same way I do. And so the work for me, and this is where it gets really important, is the work for me, and this is what I had to learn. And actually, it's funny, I was thinking about this this morning, is like, I didn't learn about attachment styles until I became a coach, right? Like, this is something that, like, after the fact, I learned about it, and I was like, oh, shit, that makes a lot of sense, you know? Because I was just going through it. I was just experiencing it. But what I learned about myself as I was going through it was that I needed to stop this like obsessive thinking, the rumination, the waiting for the text or call, the waiting for the person to reach out, right? Like I needed to stop that and I needed to actually regulate my experience. Now, again, maybe I just learned this because I had, you know, I, I was a yoga teacher. I've been practicing yoga for years. I'd had a daily meditation practice for like several years at that point, right? Like I, I, so maybe to some degree, I just was able to translate this intuitively. But what I learned was like, I need to regulate my emotional experience right now. Like I am way too much going out to the person and I need to come back into myself. And so for the anxious person or the people who are having like strongly anxious experiences, that is the work. It is to bring your energy back into yourself, to regulate your system, to stop the rumination, stop the constant like going down the rabbit hole, stop the trying to control it, trying to anticipate it, trying to manipulate the situation to get it to get it to work out a certain way, to, to like get the person to want you, right? Like it's stopping all of that and regulating your experience around it. So I see someone someone asks, like, how do you regulate that, right? Well, in, in the beginning, regulate might not even be the right word. It, like, a, a better word might just be stop. Like, even if you're forcing yourself, it's like, I am just going to put my phone down. I am going to go out for a walk for the next couple of hours without my phone. And I am just going to put myself in a position where I literally cannot wait for a text from that person where I can, like, I'm just going to literally go do something else, force myself to do this so I can break the habit, right? Like, that's how it started for me. And then what I added to that is I just, I started to force myself to stop. Then what I added to that was I added meditation, breath work. Like, I learned about nervous system regulation and like actual practices for regulating your nervous system, which I just mentioned, by the way, which are meditation, which are breath work, which are, right, like these things. So I, I learned to give that person space and to regulate my experience, to bring some ease and some comfort into my body as I was giving that person space. And that wasn't easy, right? Like that, that wasn't easy. Like that was really hard to do. But you see what I had to do at that point was I had to break patterns that had defined my relational experience for my entire life. I had to like stop those patterns and get comfortable in my experience. Now I see this Yuri, you're asking the question and you're asking the same 
the, uh, the same person who asked, how do I regulate my experience? You're now asking, that means the other person doesn't love you. And, and you're saying now the other person is not continuously reaching out means he's not that interested. Well, maybe. And this, I love that you're asking this because this is why it's so important to really understand these attachment styles. Because if you are, if you are more anxiously oriented, and I'd say, Yuri, just by your questions, you are. Okay, like you're, you're asking the questions that anxiously oriented people ask. Right? An anxious person, and, and I say this as someone who was that, right? <laughs> An anxious person will often want it to be that simple, right? They're not responding. That means they're not interested, and I can just cut it off and let it be that simple. And I'd say there's an opportunity for growth in that. And so as I was talking about the points of growth here, what I'm talking about is like, so there's an opportunity for you, Yuri, when you're in that experience and you're feeling all of those anxious feelings and you're feeling that stress and you're feeling that tension and all of this, right? When you're in that experience and you're feeling that, rather than they're just not that interested, I'm just going to cut it off. Or, or I'm just going to reach out to them, right? Those are extreme reactions. Find a place in the middle where I can actually regulate myself and I can be patient and I can wait for this to unfold and I can see what happens. The truth is, I don't know how interested they are, right? Maybe they're not that interested and that's why they're not replying. Or maybe they just have a different attachment style. Maybe they just have different attachment needs. Maybe they have different relational needs, different expectations from the relationship where I want that every day. They want it maybe a few times a week. That's what feels right and feels natural for them. That's what they need in the relationship. And for you or for me being the anxious person, I need to grow a little bit in terms of my bandwidth to be able to give the relationship space, to be able to let the relationship breathe, to be able to let it unfold and see what happens and see actually how long will it take them to respond to me. Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in today. I just wanted to jump in real quick and let you know about something real awesome. So you may have heard that we've opened up a brand new opportunity with the Inspired Love program this year where you can join at a low monthly fee. We're really doing our best to make it accessible and available for everyone. And right now you can join the Inspired Love program on a two week free trial, absolutely free. You don't pay anything unless you choose to stay and continue on in the work. But right now you can experience the program at zero charge. I have never, ever had an opportunity like this before, and I'm really doing my best to make this accessible and available for everyone. So I want you to get in on it, but the trial ends on Friday. So this Friday, January 12th is going to be your last opportunity to join on the two week free trial. I really don't want you to miss it. We've been bringing some people in. It has been so much fun. It's amazing what we're creating in there. And I really, really, really want you to be a part of it. So please, before you do anything else, go to inspiredloveprogram.com, opt in for that two week free trial. Make sure you do it before Friday, January 12th, because we're taking it off the table at that point, And I don't want you to miss it. All right. Lots of love. Thanks for tuning into today's show. And I'll see you inside the program.
And what does that mean about them? What does that reveal about them? Not assuming that I know. Me assuming that I know is an anxious response to try to control the situation so I don't have to live with the uncertainty. And the healing for an anxious person is all about being able to live in the uncertainty, being able to navigate through the uncertainty as things become clear, as I discover the answers, as they become available, right? So that's the work for you. And I can't say it always means he's not interested. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it means something else. And you've got to expand your emotional capacity to be able to navigate through all of it until you really get clear about what it means. And that is the work for an anxious person. Right now, if it was an avoidant person, I want to read Robin Simmons' comment here. She says, um, when I was with Ben for six years and he died, I was completely anxiously attached to the relationship. Now that I have the opportunity for love, I feel afraid and avoiding the feeling of losing myself. Yes. So this is, this is a great example of, of how even our life experiences can change our attachment style, right? So if you look at, if you look at what Robin just shared there, she's sharing. Okay. I see a lot of stuff coming in now. I'm going to do my best to get to all of this. We got to take it one step at a time. So what Robin is sharing here is she is sharing that my whole life I was anxiously attached. And then I experienced a trauma, right? Loss of a partner after being married for six years. That, that's a huge trauma, right? Like death of a loved one. Trauma. Reoriented her attachment style. Because now, instead of operating in the, in the needing love, you're actually operating on the other side of it like I'm protecting myself from the pain that could happen, right? Which is what anxious or excuse me, avoidant people do. So I want to talk about it a little bit from the other side now of the avoidant perspective, because I, I think there's a big problem here. I think there's a big problem here where we, we have a lot of sympathy for the anxious people. And we have not a lot of sympathy for the avoidant people. And we view the anxious people as the people who, oh my God, I want love so badly and I just can't find it. And the avoidant people are the ones who are kind of pushing love away. And we don't really realize that when you meet an avoidant person, you are meeting somebody who has the exact same emotional I don't want to say they have the exact same needs. The needs might differ a little bit, but in terms of desire, in terms of like the, the, the desire to connect, the desire to be in relationship, the desire to be seen, to be held, to be loved, to, to have that connection. And you're like, that is human. We all have that. So the avoidant person has that. But what the avoidant person has experienced around love is an incredible amount of pain, right? And maybe it comes from, yeah, I fell in love with someone and, and they died and they passed away and I lost them. And that, like, that shook me on like an existential level. So like, I'm not so quick to get into relationship now because I know what that loss feels like. Like that's one version of it. The, um, 
the therapeutic version of it or the the version of it that that you know they generally talk about in like the therapy world is that if you were if you were a child and when you reached out for love you were pushed away right if when you were young and you reached out for love like i often talk about my wife with this where the upbringing that my wife had she had a tough upbringing her parents were tough and when she would like crawl into her mom's lap her mom would push her out of her lap like get away from me i don't have time for this right and so there was like a there was like a, a in my wife's experience there was a consistent reaching out for love and love not being given when it was reached out for and so what that person learns and like i mean like this can really inspire compassion when you really think about the lived experience of somebody who was reaching out for love and belonging and wanting to be held and wanting to be validated and wanting to be made safe. And they were just pushed away every time. And that is their lived experience. Like that rejection, the, the feeling like when I, like now as an adult, there's this embodied feeling that they carry with them that says like, when I open myself up in a vulnerable way, I am rejected. And I mean, like, think about like, what is, what is the deepest human fear? I mean, that's really it right there, right? Like the, like the deepest human fear is that I am really going to be seen for who I am in my totality. Like somebody is really going to see me in the totality of who I am. And they are going to not like what they see, right? They are going to think it's ugly, it's disgusting, it's unworthy, it's like unlovable. Like that, that's like our deepest human fear. And so the avoidant person is carrying that, right? It's like they're carrying this, this deep fear of like, when I've opened myself up, in a relationship with someone. I am, I am hurt. Like I am rejected. And that, that's like, I mean, that's a really difficult thing for someone to overcome. And so there's gotta be a, this is why I say we've really got to understand our own style and we've got to stand, we've got to understand other styles as well. Because there's got to be a more mature way of relating with each other. And I see, I see a comment right here. And, you know, this is from Sharon Kaufman. She says, it's difficult to know the difference between an avoidant and a narcissist. And I'd say, actually, it's really not, but it's difficult when you're so in your own experience that you're like when your own experience is so all consuming that you can't really be connected to the other person's experience. That's when an avoidant person and a narcissist look like the same person because all you can see when you're consumed by your own experience is I'm not getting my needs met. They're not showing up for me. They're not warm. They're not loving. They're not committed. They're not consistent. And so 
if to you, like somebody not showing up for you or meeting your needs equates to a narcissist, well, then you won't really be able to tell the difference. But if you can, if you can understand, okay, I'm having a certain experience of the relationship right now, and we could call it an avoid or, or, or excuse me, an anxious experience, right? I feel that my needs aren't being met. I feel that I'm being left alone. I feel that there's inconsistency. I feel that they're not paying attention to me. I feel that they're not making me a priority. Like, so you're in your anxious experience of the situation, right? And then, so you might be going, is this person a narcissist? Like, how could they treat me like this? You might be all in it, right? So the first thing you would need to do is recognize that that's not something the other person is doing to you. This is your, this is how you experience relationships. Like, this is why it's so important. Like, because most of us, especially if we were anxiously oriented, we've spent our whole life thinking that people are doing this to us in relationships and never actually recognizing like, no, this is not something other people are doing to us. This is the way that I experience relationship, right? Like, it's not something that that someone is doing to me. This is what I experience when I become intimate with someone. I become very afraid. I become very uncertain, right? And so if you're in that experience and rather than becoming completely defensive or antagonistic, or like I said earlier to Yuri, who said, does that mean they don't like me? I'm just going to throw it all out the window. They didn't respond to my text. They don't like me. I'm writing the whole thing off, right? If rather than doing that, we can first regulate our experience. Okay. So that's what I said. Like you've got to, you've got to regulate your experience. You've got to find some peas and some, some peas, some peace and some ease in your body around it. Right. Just deep breaths. Like just let me just bring me from, bring myself from a 10 to a two, right? Let me just bring it down a notch. Let me just get comfortable, get ease within the experience. Right. And then from there, I can engage in a courageous and compassionate dialogue with the person to say, hey, this is my experience of what's happening right now. What's your experience of it? This is what I want from the relationship. What do you want from it? Right? Like, this is how I feel when you don't respond to me. How do you feel? And rather than just assume that we know what's happening for that person, we can engage in, like I said, a courageous and compassionate dialogue with them. They can reveal to us their experience of the situation. And from there, we can understand. And what will be revealed in that dialogue is whether or not that person actually is a narcissist. Because let me tell you, a real narcissist dialogues very differently than somebody who has an avoidant attachment style and they are very afraid and very uncomfortable. And they're and, and like, right? So let me give an example because I, I had a client I was working with who there was a, there was a guy that she, she had been dating and they, they ultimately just ended the relationship. And the reason they ended the relationship was because he was avoidant 
and he was avoidant to an extent that he he just told her straight up, I am not going to be able to meet your needs. I just, I will not be able to. That, that just doesn't compute for me. I just cannot show up for you in that way. And so after a couple of months of courageously dialoguing and being in relationship with each other and both of them being open-hearted and being vulnerable and being honest and navigating this together, they came to the conclusion that they are incompatible. Right? But like, oh my God, what a beautiful experience that was for both of them to be seen in that way, to be understood in that way, to have these incredible, beautiful conversations with each other and, and to say to each other, like, I want you to be happy. Like he was saying to her, I want you to have the kind of, you know, attention and consistency that you're looking for. I just don't think I can be that person for you. And for her to say to him, like, I want you to have the space in your life to be able to take time alone by yourself to process what you're going through. And like, I want you to have that, but I just don't know if my relationship needs can be okay with that long term, right? And they're engaging in these beautiful conversations together and they're hearing each other, and they're understanding each other. And at the end of the day, they went their separate ways, and they did it with love. And it was like, hey, listen, if we meet somewhere down the road, and maybe we're in a different place, and we think we could do this, it would be amazing to give it another try. But right now, the place we are in our lives, we're just not right for each other. And this is the kind of relational maturity that we've got to start to have if we're going to build relationships because this is what I want to say is like this stuff and, and all of this that I just described happened in a period of less than three months, right? So like we're talking about they're having these conversations in the very beginning of the relationship. And like so many of us were so like, and like the anxious people don't bring it up because we're like, if I bring it up, they're going to leave me. And the avoidant people don't bring it up because the avoidant people are just like, things are good right now. I don't want to make any problems. Let's just keep it easy and cool, right? And so neither person brings it up. And then you get far enough into a relationship where these issues become unavoidable. They start smacking you in the face. And then you don't know how to dialogue with each other in this way because you haven't practiced it from the beginning. And so then you're six months, a year, two years into a relationship when these issues start to really become unavoidable. Now you either have to learn or the relationship is going to implode. And some people do learn. Like I've seen a lot of couples who at that stage, they get into therapy, they learn these skills, they learn how to talk to each other and they actually, they work it out. But that's not what happens for most people. Most people say, if this was the person for me, it wouldn't feel like this. If this was the person for me, we wouldn't be fighting like this. If this was meant to be, it wouldn't be like this. And then they just end the relationship. Not realizing that it will always be like that until you learn these skills. And so if you're in a relationship right now, I want your relationship to work out. I'm not going to say end the relationship and go start fresh with someone else. But start learning now. If you're in a relationship right now and you haven't had these like deep, compassionate, courageous conversations with each other, like I would say start today.
Like start today and, and even tell your partner, like, listen, I think we've made some mistakes because we haven't been addressing these things with each other. And I think we should start now and it's going to be uncomfortable for us. But if we want this relationship to last, like, I think we should really start right now. And if you're single, like start challenging yourself to practice this with every single person. Like, and then this is the thing, like someone brought up earlier about the narcissist. It's like, if someone is a narcissist, this is how you find out. Because here's the thing. When you bring up something, like, I just want to be honest. I'm looking for like long-term commitment. I want to get married. I want to have a family. Like I want the whole deal. I want the house, the white picket fence, the dream. Like, let's say you bring that up to someone on a first date. And, and so many people I talk to are like, oh my God, I could never bring that up on a first date. Well, here's the thing. Anybody that you even have a chance of having that with is going to be like, I totally get that. Now, they might not right off the bat on the first date be like, I want the exact same thing. Maybe they're not as clear as you are. Maybe they haven't given it as much thought. Maybe they have more of an avoidance style. So they're not so quick to say, I want all of that. Because when I think about all of that, it feels really heavy. Right? But somebody that you have any chance of having that with is going to be somebody who gets it at least. At, at a minimum, they at least say, I totally get that. I totally get that you want that. I respect that. It's amazing that you want that. It's amazing that you know what you want. And if that person were a little more avoidant, they might say something like, you know, I, I just have to be honest with you. I don't know how I feel about that right now. You know, like first date, like I totally get that you want that. I respect that. But like, I just honestly, like talking about that right now makes me a little uncomfortable. Or they would say something to that effect. Like, I don't really know how I feel about that, but I respect that you want that, right? Like they would, and then, and then you could, you could engage again in a courageous dialogue with them. So you could say to them like, Oh, I totally, look, it's a first date. I mean, like, we don't know where this is going, but I'm curious, like, do you see that at any point in your future? Right? Like at any point in your future, do you see that? Like in a perfect world, if, if that could work out for you, would you want that? And they might sit there and they might go, yeah, I could see that, you know, like, I don't know. I've never really thought about it, but like, I could definitely see that. Yeah. If it was with the right person in the right situation, like. Yeah, I could totally get on board with that, right? And so now, because you didn't go into your reaction immediately, oh, they don't want to, oh, fuck this, I'm out. You actually engaged in a dialogue with them. More possibility is emerging, right? Instead of just being like, they've got to be exactly who I want them to be from day one. And like, no, it's like, I'm getting to know this person. I'm not just looking for a quick yes or no. I'm actually willing to engage and explore and see what unfolds. See what this person shares with me. Learn more about their truth. Really, rather than just going like, are they going to meet my needs? Which is a very selfish approach. I can instead be like, 
let me just genuinely get to know this person through and through, inside and out. Like, let me, let me get to a place with this person where I feel like I have a really clear grasp of who they are and what they're looking for and what they want and how they approach things and how they think about things and how they feel and what their fears are, right? Like, like let me just get to know the person before I even start to make a decision about whether I think we're supposed to be together or not, right? Like, let, let's have a few of these uncomfortable, courageous dialogues before I start making any decisions about whether this is my soulmate or not, right? Like there's, there's a willingness to ease into it slowly, to pay attention to your own experience, to be curious about the other person's experience, to have these courageous dialogues. You know, maybe you, maybe you just get to know one person at a time or maybe just two people at a time, but maybe you're not talking to so many people that it's overwhelming. And maybe you're just slowly taking your time to to go on a date with someone once a week or once every other week and to talk on the phone to them a couple of nights a week and to just ask questions to get a feel for who they are. Like, this is... I think there's there's an approach that requires trust and faith and patience and emotional maturity and self-awareness and where we move slowly and where we ask lots of questions and where we feel into things deeply and where we really get in tune with not just does the person like me, but how do I really feel about them? Right. And, and we honor that. And like, there's, there's just such a different approach to this whole thing. And it's like, we slow down in the beginning in order to go faster in the long run. Right. Like we slow down in our approach in terms of getting deeply into a relationship with someone so that we can really focus on finding the right person to get deeply into relationship with. And then once we find that right person, the relationship can go quickly. But so many of us are just wanting the next person we meet to be the person. Like we're not really willing to live in a space where the next person might not be the person. And even the next few people after that might not be the person, right? And I'm actually willing to go on that journey and to learn and to grow, right? It it becomes less about, let me just find someone to love me and meet all my intimacy needs, which again is a very selfish approach. It becomes a more holistic approach about really seeing people and understanding people and relating with people, even if it's not necessarily the person I'm going to end up with. Let me spend enough time with them to feel like I really get a sense of who they are. And even if it doesn't amount to being the relationship I want to have, let me see the time we spent together as a, as a training, as a, as a curriculum that I'm learning of how to relate that's actually going to make relating with my person that much easier. Like, let me thank God 
I got so much practice before I met my person so that when I met them, I was ready and I didn't make all the same mistakes with them that I made with everyone else before them. Right? Like some of us are bringing the same mistakes into every single interaction and wondering why nothing ever works out. Well, it's because you're making the same mistakes over and 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 over again. You never paused long enough to really learn what wasn't working in your approach and started out on a different foundation. And so in, in this conversation, as we're speaking about attachment styles, the, the essence of what, what I'm getting to here is really like understand your own, which by the way, and, and I'll be honest about this, like this was not something I did when I was dating. Like I didn't know about attachment styles. This is something I learned later, but if I had like, oh my God, it would have helped me. And like, fortunately I was studying enough spirituality and yoga and, and things like this that I was able to connect the dots without really understanding the relational psychology. But like, oh my God, it would have helped me so much. And I would say like, learn your own and learn what that means about you. Learn how that translates into relationships with other people. Like if you recognize that I have an avoidant style or an anxious style or a disorganized style, like do the research and find out what does that mean is going to happen for you when you're in relationships with people, right? Read about all of the styles and then ask yourself, like, which one resonates for me most, right? Which one really, like, speaks to my personal experience the most? And then as you're dating, right, stop being so quick to call someone a narcissist or to even just say, oh, well, they're just whatever, not, not a match for me. Like stop being so quick to want a yes or a no and really get curious about who people are and how they relate because you doing that is going to teach you a lot about how you relate. And it's going to give you a lot of opportunity to work through your own relational experiences. Like I, I've shared this often, and, and I'll share this one more time because I think it's it's um, particularly potent for today's conversation. So I ended, I ended a six-month relationship with a woman. The morning of the day I connected with my wife for the first time. So, so literally, like it was a period of maybe six hours, 12 hours even. How, how long was it? It was from like 6 a.m. till like... Noon, basically. Yeah. So a period of like six hours from the time I ended this relationship till the time I, I connected with my wife for the first time and our relationship started. So I was single for all of six hours, we could say. Now that wasn't normal for me. I, I normally spent several months in between relationships, but this was just synchronistic. It was just the way it happened. It was meant to be. Now that relationship that I was with this woman for six months. Now First time we were together, she said she wanted an open relationship, which was not what I wanted, but it's what she wanted. And I was like, I'll try it. Why not? I've never done it before. Let me see. I was pretty open-minded. So I was like, I'll try it. Yeah, let's see. 
it was a nightmare for me. It was, it was awful. I didn't like it at all. There was not one moment of it that I enjoyed. <laughs> but I tried it because why not? What the gift that that was in my life. And I could have gone, oh, well, she's just a narcissist and she just doesn't care. And she knew what I wanted, but she just manipulated me. And like, I could have gone into all of that, but I didn't. And I don't think that's true about her. I think she was a beautiful person. I think she was very honest about where she was and what she was looking for. And she gave me the opportunity to engage. She gave me the opportunity to be a part of it. It was amazing. And it was a, a wonderful opportunity for me. The point that I'm sharing all of this is that what I learned in that six months that we were together, more than any other relationship I had been in, was I learned to regulate my anxious experience of relationships, right? So we had an agreement and, and we had an agreement that it's an open relationship. What does that mean? That means we see each other when we see each other. I don't know where you are. I don't know who you're with. I don't know what you're doing. There's no commitment that you're going to like call me at any certain time. Like it's just, you know, when we're available, we'll spend time together. We'll have sex, we'll date, we'll do whatever. But in between, we're free to live our own lives and there's no obligation, no commitment. Like that was the agreement that we had. And so on the one hand, I really wanted the relationship with her. On the other hand, I knew that we had this agreement and I knew that I had to honor the agreement if I wanted the relationship with her, which meant I couldn't be blowing her up saying, hey, when am I going to see you again and blah, blah, blah. So I was in a situation where I was forced to regulate my experience of all of this. And so what I did with that was I, like I said earlier, I, I forced myself to just put my phone down. I'm not going to call her. I'm not going to text. I'm going to go on about my life. I'm going to live my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm, I'm going to do my best to put her out of my mind. When I feel that anxiety, I'm going to breathe through it. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to regulate myself. So I did all of this for six months. And at the end of it, I think we both were just very clear that like, we wanted different things. We were in a different place. I was looking for more of a consistent relationship. She was looking for more freedom. She felt pressure from me, even though I was trying not to give her pressure. She could just feel it. And I knew I was giving it, even though I was trying not to, right? This was everything. So we, we both mutually just called it off. We we're like, hey, it's been wonderful. It's been great. I'm glad we had the experience, but we're good. And we went our separate ways. The six months I spent with her taught me how to show up for my wife because my wife also, as I've shared, is, is more of an avoidant personality where I was more anxious. Now, I think today we're both very secure. I think our anxious avoidant stuff is minimal at best. But back then, she had a lot stronger avoidant tendencies. I had a lot stronger anxious tendencies. And because I had spent the six months with that other woman literally practicing daily, regulating my experience of the situation. When I met my wife, who my wife, yes, she had avoidant tendencies, but she actually wanted a relationship. She actually did want to talk on the phone every night. She did want to text throughout the day. She did want to be consistent. Like she did want us to have a real relationship. And she was honest about that. When I was, when I was in a relationship that had a certain degree of security, I was also able to give her the space she needed to feel safe in the relationship. 
which was something that I was not able to do prior to that six months. And so my point in sharing all of this is that like, throw yourself into it, like surrender to the experience, like whoever you're dating right now, whoever you're talking to, whatever the discomfort of it is, see it through to completion. Like I I talked to a buddy of mine about this one time and I was in a relationship and I was not sure if it was the right one or not. And I was asking him and I was like, I was like, how do you know, you know, if, if like you're supposed to leave? And, and he said to me, he said, how do you know when you're done eating? And I thought about that and I was like, you know, you just know there's just a feeling like there's just a, there's just a feeling that we've taken this as far as we can go. And with that woman, with that six month situation, like I didn't run from it. I wasn't like, oh, you want an open relationship? I can't do this, right? Like I was like, I'm, I'm open. Let me explore. Let me see how I can grow in this environment, right? But it reached a certain point where it was obvious that we had gone as far as we could go. And because I had spent the time working on myself rather than just clinging to the relationship, I was also ready to let it go at that time. Right? Like I was ready to let it go at that time. And so, again, going back to the approach I was talking about, if you really allow yourself to, to navigate these things fully, where you're not trying to protect yourself or control the situation, where you do it with an open heart and you, and you really like, ease into it and regulate your experience and get to know the person and you're curious about it and you're taking space to really intuitively feel into your truth of the situation. Your experience of all of this will be so different. So much of the intensely painful, volatile experiences we have come from operating in the extreme aspects of our attachment styles and well i would say that in the extreme aspects of our attachment styles and as a result of that like feeling very insecure as we grow into a more secure way of relating overall we operate in the less extreme aspects of our attachment styles and we feel more confident. We feel more worthy. We feel more hope. We feel like love is more available for us. We attract different kinds of people, but secure relating is a practice, right? Just like I just talked about, like I practiced it for six months in, in the most insecure environment I could have possibly been in. Right? Like I, I put myself in the most insecure environment I could have possibly been in. And I practiced secure relating for six months. And six hours after I ended that, I attracted a healthy, secure relationship. Like I don't think that's an accident. I really don't think that's an accident. And so this is this is what we've got to do. We've got to. Once again, as I've been saying, understand your own attachment style, understand other people's attachment styles overall, 
and then practice this secure relating with every single person. And even if it doesn't work out to what you wanted it to be, even if it's a couple month fling or whatever, find your, find your peace and find your, find your solace in the gratitude for the opportunity to practice relating securely. And know that that is never, ever, ever wasted. Okay, so that being said, um, I want to take some questions. Uh, go ahead, if you have questions, drop them in the chat. I'm going to go back and scroll through and see if I can find any questions that I missed. And um, yeah, let, let's chat. Let's jump in. Drop your questions and I'll get to as many as I can. So Carrie is asking why we don't view it as an incompatibility and seek out someone whose attachment style aligns with our own. And this is a beautiful question, Carrie. And um, here's the interesting thing. There's a certain polarity, and I'm not talking about masculine, feminine, feminine. I'm not talking about masculine, feminine polarity. That's a completely different conversation. But there is a certain polarity, I think, with attachment too. And so you might notice like some of you who are either anxiously or avoidantly oriented, you might notice that if you've ever gotten into a relationship with someone who was the same as you, you would flip-flop to the other one, right? That ever happened for anyone? Like I remember all of my relationships, or maybe not all, most of my relationships I was anxious. Like, like that was my like overall experience was like a very anxious type experience. But then I remember one relationship in particular where like, I'll just be honest and I'm not proud of this, but I was dating her for security because she was really into me. I was not that into her and I was dating her for security. We stayed together for about a year and I actually played the avoidant role in that relationship. So there's usually a tendency in relating for one of us to fall into one of these roles and, or I should say for each of us to fall into one of these roles. And if you meet someone who has your same style historically, one of you will tend to fall into the other style. Now there's actually a reason for this. And the reason is that well, there are a few reasons. First one I want to say is that, again, as I said earlier, your style is not a fact about you. It is not a truth. It is learned behavior. It is survival-based behavior, right? The only, the only thing that would be true would be a secure attachment, right? Where I just feel worthy. I feel confident. I feel capable. I feel that if this person leaves, someone else will come into my life, right? Like that's a secure attachment. That would be, I'd say, reflective of your truth. But any kind of insecure attachment is a survival-based behavior. And as long as you're operating in survival, you're going to try to survive the relationship. So it's not like if I'm anxious and I meet another anxious person, I immediately become secure. No, if I'm anxious and, and I meet another anxious person, well, whoever is more anxious is going to become anxious in the relationship. And that's going to kind of drive the other person into a certain amount of avoidance. Because 
that that sh- there's a there's like a balancing that needs to happen, right? Like it's just this is like an energetic balancing that happens in relationships and it's it's part of human nature. It's so the only way out of that is to grow into secure relationship. And so what happens like if I'm if I'm secure if I am securely attached and I show up in a relationship and, you know, if someone brings a degree of avoidance or a degree of anxiousness, well, because I'm secure, it's not going to throw me off. And I'm going to say, hey, let's talk about that. What's going on, right? But if if they bring a strong degree of anxiousness or a strong degree of avoidance, I'm just going to feel like it's not a fit, right? If they bring a strong degree of anxiousness, I'm just going to feel like this person is pushy they're needy, they're desperate, they're clingy, they're manipulative, they're dishonest, and I'm just going to not be into it. If I experience a strong degree of avoidance, I'm going to feel that they're not available, that they're not interested, that they don't appreciate me, that they don't see the value, that they're not consistent, that they don't make the effort, right? And so and so I'm just going to, again, feel that it's not a fit. Coming from a secure place, that would be the most natural thing in the world. I would just naturally feel this person is pushy, needy, manipulative. This person is dishonest or, or uh, um, you know, unavailable and so on, right? That would just be the most natural thing. So the, the other thing I want to say in response to this question, Carrie, is your perfect match is somebody who operates slightly on the other side of the spectrum. Now, why do I say that? Because that that creates opportunities for healing. So let me just talk about how this happened with my wife, okay? My whole life, I was largely anxious. My wife's whole life, she was largely avoidant. Now, of course, she has had relationships where she has felt like the anxious one. I have had relationships where I felt like the avoidant one, as I shared earlier. But throughout our lives, we have largely gravitated to one or the other. Now, when we met each other, this relationship created incredible opportunities for healing. Why? Because my wife is avoidant. Now, what does that mean? That means when we get into a fight, she wants to leave the room. I want to stay in the mess of it. Let's talk about it. Let's get really messy. And, uh, right? That's, that's the anxious approach. I want to like get deep into your soul and let's talk about it. Uh, right? That's the anxious person. My wife is like, I need space. I need to sit with this. I can't talk to you right now. I need to think about it. I need to regulate my experience. Now, the healing that has occurred for both of us because we have different styles is really, really beautiful. Because what I have learned is to give her space to leave the room when she needs to and trust that she's going to come back. Now, like, I, I think about my high school girlfriend and, like, my high school girlfriend, like, oh, my God, our relationship was so toxic. Like, I was in love and, like, oh, love, you know, but, but like, oh, my God, the relationship was toxic. And, like, we would have these horrible fights, like, just these screaming fights. And and I honestly, I think she was a little more avoidant, too, where, you know, she kind of had an entourage of boys that were into her. And that was kind of her avoidant way. Um, but that, that's another conversation. But. So what I've learned with my wife is that I have, I have learned to let her leave and let her come back. 
and to actually feel safe in her leaving and coming back. That's something I couldn't do in high school, right? That's something that my relational patterns did not allow for. What she has learned is that she doesn't always need to leave. What she has also learned is that she can reach out for love and that I'm not going to push her away. Like I shared earlier about her mom. She would, she would climb into her mom's lap and her mom would be like, get off of me, right? Well, what she's learned in this relationship is that when she's had a hard day and she's just needs to come home and like fall into my arms and like burst into tears, she can do that. She never had a space in her life ever that she could do that until me. And, and so like the healing has happened. If you think about it like this, like maybe 20 years ago or 15 years ago or something, you know, I was all the way over here on the anxious end of the spectrum and my wife was all the way over here on the avoidant end of the spectrum. And when we were living in those places, there was no hope of having like a loving, secure relationship. We were just too far away from it. We were never going to find it. If nothing changed, we would have spun our wheels until the day we died, just trying to find someone. But we were both into personal growth. We were both, you know, doing the work on ourselves. And so what was happening is as we were growing up, we were growing into becoming more secure. So instead of being on like the fringes of the spectrum out here, we came closer into the center of the spectrum. Now, maybe I was still over here on the anxious side and she was still over here on the avoidance side, right? But we were closer to the point of security. So we were now within range of where we could actually realistically have a loving, secure, healthy relationship. We still had work to do. We weren't done, but we were within range. So we did a certain amount of work on ourselves so we could get from way out here to in here. And now we're within the range of where we could actually meet. Now, once we meet, that opens up another level of work where we heal even more, right? Where I heal in the sense that I can feel secure enough to let her go and come back. She can feel secure enough to lean into the relationship when she's hurting rather than always needing to lean into her isolation. And that's, that's incredible healing that happens, right? That's beautiful. Like that we as, we as individuals become more full in, in and of our own right, like not in the relationship, but just in and of ourselves because of our relationship, right? Our relationship has allowed us to become more complete as an individual. That's the, that's the paradox, right? Like, some people think a relationship completes them. No, if a relationship, if you're wanting your relationship to complete you, you're actually becoming more incomplete. But if you are using the relationship as a context in which the both of you can heal, you are becoming more complete as an individual by working with your relationship. I hope that makes sense. So to answer your question, Carrie, that's why. We actually, um, my therapist told me this, and I believe it to be true, and a lot of the relationship teachers say this, is that we actually will unconsciously seek out those people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum. Because on some level, we intuitively feel that that is where our healing lies. Like, 
we so you I mean you'll often find anxious people seeking out avoidant people, avoidant people seeking out anxious people. Why? Because to some degree we're trying to balance each other. Right? To some degree that that avoidant person wants to feel that deep open-heartedness that the anxious person has. And that anxious person wants to feel that, you know, ability to like be a, be okay on my own that the avoidant person has. Right, that ability to feel secure in my own right without needing that validation from someone else. And we kind of crave that from each other. And so, yes, there's again, if you're way out on the fringes of the spectrum, you don't have a chance at a healthy relationship. But as you do the work on yourself and you heal and you come closer to the balance point, you get within range of where you can actually start to work in relationship with another person in a healthy way and you can heal together and grow together. And largely, I think, I think the, the, the relationships that last, those like lifelong relationships, are the people who continue to do that work with each other. You know, year after year after year, they become more secure. They continue to improve their communication. They continue to have goals that they work on as a couple and, and you know, bring those goals into being and like all of that. So anyway... I hope that answers the question. It's a great question. And, you know, it's, I'll just say this last thing about this is a lot of times when we think about compatibility, we think about someone who is just like us and the same as us. And that's actually not real compatibility. Real compatibility, there's some similarities in terms of goals, vision for the future, maybe like your spiritual framework, and not even you have to have the exact same spiritual beliefs, but you have a similar spiritual framework of life. Like you might, you might have some similarities in certain things, but true compatibility, like real compatibility is a good mix of similarities and a good mix of differences because the differences are what keep it interesting. The differences are what keep the attraction there. You know, my wife and I, like, we think the same about a lot of things. You know, we, like, we agree on a lot of things in terms of, you know, I, I think certain, like, values and things like that. But when it comes to, like, you know, my wife likes to go to bed early. I like to stay up late. You know, like, I, I mean, she's more of, like, a a very, like, calm. I want to sit in the, I want to sit in the coffee shop with my latte and let the sun hit my face and read my book. And I'm like, I want to go ride a roller coaster and like, you know, jump out of a plane and, and stuff like that. So, you know, like those are the differences that keep our relationship interesting. They keep the attraction there. They keep us learning about each other. They keep us growing in relationship with each other. So it's not just about finding someone like, People are like, I want someone who's just like me. I want someone who loves all the activities I do. I want someone who shares my group of friends. I want someone who wants to go to all the places I go. And like, you actually don't. You actually want someone who is a whole person, unique in and of themselves. And then, yes, there are certain compatibilities that you align on. That means you can have a, you know, you can build a life and raise a family and things like that. But there's enough difference. There's enough complexity that it keeps it interesting. It keeps attraction. So um, great question, Carrie, and thank you for asking. Ladi Da here uh, has this question. Why does someone keep reaching out with a lot of affect and keep suggesting dates to meet and then back out? Is it for validation to know I still care or do they intend well and see they're not ready? 
I mean, I don't know why somebody is doing that, right? But what what I want to encourage you and, and all everyone who's listening right now to really look at is like, it doesn't really matter why. It it matters like how do you feel about that? Is that okay with you? Now, to some degree, you know, if it happens once, if it happens two times depending on how you feel about all aspects of the relationship, depending on how you know the person, depending on your history together. Like, I mean, you might give them a chance. You might give them a second chance. You might be like, let me see if there's more here. But if this person just keeps doing it at a certain point, like you've got to ask yourself, why are you okay with this? Right now, I know I said earlier, like, be open, explore, see what happens, navigate your experience of it, regulate. And yes, I agree with that. To a degree, do all of that. But if you've been doing that and the person is still doing the same shit, like they haven't gotten their act together, why is that okay with you would be my question. Like, I don't really care why they're doing it. Why is that okay with you? Why do you allow that? And at what point Are you going to say to this person, like, hey, it's been fun getting to know you, but if you're not going to start being consistent with me, I'm going to move on, right? And and by the way, part of navigating, regulating, doing all of this isn't just let me just sit back and do nothing and see what this person does. No, part of that is getting engaged with it. So part of it is you saying, hey... Why are you doing this, right? Don't ask me why he's doing it. Ask him why he's doing it. And by the way, I want to know why you're doing it. I want an answer that is actually reasonable. And I'm also going to tell you I'm not okay with it. And the next time it happens, I'm not going to be asking why. I'm just going to be moving on, right? So part of this part of this approach that I'm talking about here does require you confronting these conversations with people, right? Like. Like, why are you doing this? Are you not interested in seeing me? No, 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 I am. Because also, the reason that some people will do this is because they'll give you just enough to keep you waiting around for them, right? Like some people literally do this. And I would say this is probably more of like narcissistic type people who do this. But some people literally give you just enough to keep you on their hook. And if your standards are so low that all you need is for them to pretend to make a plan with you once in a while for you to keep waiting around for them, then that's all you're going to get. And why are they doing it? Well, here's why they're doing it. Because if they're bored one time, and by the way, actually, when they reach out and make plans, they probably are bored and they have nothing going on and that's why they reach out. And then what happens is, by the time it comes to, comes around time to actually show up for the plans they made, now there are other things that are more interesting than you. And so they're like, I'm not going to go see her. I'm going to do something else. And what I want to say, Lottie Da and, and anyone else who is going through something like this, is that's not a reflection of who you are. That's a reflection of who you've allowed them to believe you are. You see, this is what I know about you and I know about all of us is you're amazing. You're amazing. And so this is my question. You being as amazing as you are, why do you tolerate that bullshit behavior? 
Because when you tolerate that bullshit behavior, what you're doing is communicating to people, this is what I deserve. Please treat me this way. This is what I will accept. This is what I will allow. Therefore, it's what I deserve. And you deserve better. I believe that. But you won't get better until you demand better. And so what you're doing is you're telling this person, this is how worthy I am. This is how lovable I am. This is what I deserve. And they are treating you in alignment with that. They are giving you exactly what you're asking for. I know it's not what you're asking for with your words, but it's what you're asking for because it's what you're allowing. So the answer to the question is, it doesn't matter why. Why do you allow it? Why do you accept it? And, and I don't want you to just rule over that question. I want you to actually, honestly, in your heart, answer that question for yourself. Why do I allow this? Why do I accept this? Why haven't I just been honest about how this makes me feel? About the fact that I don't like it? Why haven't I cut this person off by now? Like if you really search your soul and answer that question, you will have some profound realizations. And so, la-di-da, I've, I've seen you on here for several months now, and I've seen you asking very similar questions. So this is the invitation I want to make to you. Answer that question, why you accept this kind of stuff, why you allow this kind of stuff. And then next week when you come back, let me know what answer you found to that question. I'd really like to know. I'd really like to know. And that could spark a conversation that could actually lead to some real growth for you. Rather than just continuing to ask why these people are doing this, which is in general what you ask every time. Different versions of that question. Let's start to evolve the narrative a little bit and see what shows up for you. All right, lots of love. Thanks for being here. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab this other question from Carrie. Um, because it, you're asking some great, great questions today, Carrie. And I want to take this one specifically because I, I think it's important and I want to make sure to speak into it um, in case I didn't cover it thoroughly enough in today's talk. Um, so the question is, as an anxious attachment, we can work on the impulsivity on our side. How do you work on things as the avoidant attachment? And that's such a great question. And for, for avoidance, it is... It is really about easing your way into the relationship more and more and more. So um, some, some examples are like practice vulnerability and even like practice vulnerability and practice availability. So for example, like the anxious person, you might have not gotten a text in a couple of hours and your body's full of anxiety, and you're like, oh my God, when are they gonna text me? And you're waiting by the phone, and you're just like, when are they gonna text me, right? So you would wanna bring down that experience. Well, the avoidant person would have a similar experience around texting back in two hours, 
right? So if, if the avoidant person was dating someone and this person said, you know, it, one of my needs in, in a relationship is to get a text back in a reasonable amount of time. I understand you might be busy, but you know, if you could text me back within a couple of hours, I would really appreciate that, right? Now, in the avoidant listening, in the avoidant context, that person is going, oh my God, I feel suffocated. You're telling me I have to respond to every single message you send me within a couple of hours? What if I'm doing something? What if I'm not near my phone? What if I'm at work? What if I'm playing? What if I'm whatever, right? Like, And so that person, the exact same experience that the anxious person has when they haven't gotten that message back, the avoidant person has that experience when they are being asked to message back. And so what the avoidant person would want to practice with is making and keeping commitments like that. So if you're an avoidant person and you're listening to this right now, you want to know that the people that you date are probably most likely going to have emotional needs in the relationship that feel like a lot to you, that feel unreasonable to you, that feel like, why do they need so much? You know, they shouldn't need that much. And this is where, again, you want to have some courage and some compassion to challenge your own limitations and to understand that their experience of the relationship is different than your experience and to want to step into that, right? And and why? Because you want love the same way we all do, right? So you want to practice doing things that are uncomfortable for you in the same way you might ask your anxious partner, hey, honey, you know, do you think you could be okay if I didn't text you back within a few hours, right? Like, like what if I just made a commitment to text you back the same day? You know, maybe I'm busy. Maybe I don't have my phone on me. Maybe I'm out on the mountain, like whatever, right? Like, you know, could you be okay with just giving a little extra space and trust that I am going to respond to you, right? The way the avoidant person might ask that of the anxious person, they could also ask the same thing of you. Could you just challenge yourself to respond a little sooner than is natural, right? And if you both have this courageous, compassionate dialogue and you can find that meeting place in the middle, well, then you can probably both make an agreement that's a little bit challenging, but within the realm of what you can get on board with. And you can both practice that. And as you practice that, the relationship will feel safer, right? So... Um, with, with avoidant people, I would say practice availability and vulnerability, right? So availability, like, yeah, I'll make a commitment to see you once a week or a couple of times a week. I'll make a commitment to text you every day. I'll make a commitment to talk on the phone at night. I'll make a commitment to plan dates in advance and put them on the calendar so we know when we're going to see each other and I can give you that security, right? Now the avoidant person is feeling trapped, suffocated. That's a lot. Okay. Find a level you can get on board with and practice there. Um, In terms of vulnerability, practice sharing a little more about yourself. Like one of the exercises I've heard suggested is like actually tell your partner about your day, 
And it's like, oh my God, my day, I got up, I meditated, I went to work, I did things at work, I got home, I walked the dog, I cooked dinner. Like, what the fuck is so exciting about my day, right? And there's there's a, a willingness to be vulnerable even in sharing parts of your life that are not that interesting, that are not that exciting, to put yourself out there just for the sake of connection. Like, I was long distance with my wife for three years. We talked every single day. I mean, like how many times did we have dull, boring, mundane conversations about our days? A lot, like a lot. Like, yeah, and then I talked to so-and-so and then they said this and I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. It's not fucking interesting at all. But, you know, like here we are doing it. Why are we doing it? Because we want the relationship. And if we never talk, we never have a relationship. Right. So that was us like being vulnerable, showing up, being available for the connection because it mattered to us. And so there's this there's this willingness on both sides to challenge yourself for the sake of the relationship. And and I want to bring it back to for the disorganized person, because I said earlier that like the disorganized person might feel left out because we talk a lot about anxious and avoidant. The disorganized person is going to have all of these experiences. And, and by the way, we're all a little disorganized, right? We all vacillate from avoidance to anxiousness, or, or you get the idea. We, we all vacillate to some degree, right? But the, the disorganized person tends to vacillate a lot and, and drastically. But the, the disorganized person is going to have all of these experiences. And while it may be a little more complex, the work is the same. Okay? I want to run right now. Deep breath, let me just try to not run. Let me just try to stay. Let me just try to be present and stay in this difficult conversation. My partner wants to leave. I'm freaking out. I want them to stay. Let me just take a breath. Let me say, honey, if if you need an hour to just sit with this and we can meet up in an hour, like let me just practice being okay in that space, right? It, It doesn't really matter which side you fall on. The work is the same. It's being present to your experience, observing it, knowing what's happening for you, compassionately understanding what's happening for the other person, and having the willingness to work on it, having the willingness to go a little bit into the territory that makes you uncomfortable, right? Just having the willingness to go a little bit into the territory of what you don't like so much. And if you do that and your partner does that, and you keep practicing that with each other. You're going to make your partner feel safe. You're going to feel safe. And, and you're going to heal, right? This is how you heal attachment wounds in relationship. So there's a certain degree of which you do it on your own. And then whatever you don't do on your own, you do it with a partner. And this is how it works. So um, all that to say, I really want to inspire today. I think I'm going to close out with that. Um, some great questions that came in today. So thank you so much for those of you who uh, sent in your questions. And I think the um, the last thing I want to say is just that, you know, I really want to encourage us all into a, 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 as I've said, a courageous and compassionate approach to dating and love in 2024. Like, like let's, let's, Let's increase the space between trigger and reaction. 
right? If you think about it like that, let's just see if, if you have one goal for 2024, like let's increase the space between the trigger and the reaction. And let's, let's create a window in there where we can really sit with our experience and, and recognize what's happening for us and come back to our relationships with a more courageous and compassionate way of approaching it, right? That's, that's really what I want to invite everyone into. Let's stop being so quick to do anything, to stay, to leave, to try to keep the relationship. Like, like let's stop being so fast to do anything. And instead, let's just create a little space to sit with it and see what emerges in the space. Before we, before we think we know, before we think we know, let's just create a little space to ask. You know, maybe they're blowing me off. Maybe they're not interested. Maybe, but, but before I assume that, maybe I could just ask. Maybe something else is happening for them. And in that space of like open-heartedness and courage and compassion and just curiosity, right? Like just, I'm just curious. I wonder what's going on for them. In that space, love will be found. That's where it is, actually. That, that's the only place it can be found. So I invite all of you, and I want you to invite yourself to just explore that space a little more this year. Go a little further than you're used to going. Take a few more risks. Trust that if you get hurt, you can heal. Like, we all experience pain. It's okay. We, we don't have to hide from pain. We can face the pain head on and trust that if we get hurt, we can also heal and that that actually makes us stronger. It gives us a bigger heart moving forward the more we heal through our pain. Lots of love to everybody. Thank you for being on with me today. It's been a wonderful discussion. Um, always a pleasure to be on here with you. Uh, you can subscribe to the Conscious Love Show podcast on all major podcast platforms. I'll be back here with you next Tuesday, sending you so much love and I'll see you then. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. 